Hello, everyone out there. This is Peter Harris from Commercial Property Advisors, author of the book, Commercial Real Estate Investing for Dummies, and coach and mentor to many commercial real estate investors all across this great nation of ours. The title and subject of today's podcast is How to Make Commercial Deals with Distressed Sellers. So let's get started. We teach our students and clients all across this nation how to find commercial property owners quickly. And then we show them how to talk to them, how to find the seller's motivation, and lastly, how to structure deals around those motivations. So as you go out there and you generate leads and run into owners of commercial real estate, you're going to run into owners who are doing okay and some owners who are not doing okay. We're going to focus today's podcast on those who are not doing okay and have some level of distress on their property or in their lives causing them to be potential motivated sellers. Understanding the nature of distressed sellers and how they think and act is critically important when convincing them to sell their property to you. Distressed sellers are no different from you and I in that they are in the midst of the trials of life and need resolute solutions. Don't you agree? Well, this podcast is about you becoming that solution. So I'm going to focus on three different types. I would say the three most common types of distressed sellers. The first type is the out-of-state owner. How many of you have run into the out-of-state owner who is really just sucking air, money pit, and just in really bad shape? The second type of distress seller is the local owner. And the third type of distress seller is the life issue owner. I will describe each of them. Now, let's talk about the distressed out-of-state owner. What does that person look like? Well, these owners tend to tend to have a mindset that their property is out of sight and out of mind. Their property is in disrepair, either knowingly or unknowingly. They may have vacancies that are over 90 days old. That's a great sign that there's something wrong there. They may have poor records or no records of the financial positioning of the property. There could be negative cash flow for a long time. They're not in denial of their property issues. They surely aren't. But I tell you what, they have put in their own money to support the property. Those are telltale signs of a distressed out-of-state owner. Okay, there's plenty, plenty of those out there. Another thing about the distressed out-of-state owner is most of them do keep their mortgage, insurance, and tax payments current. They Most of them do, right? Well, let me tell you this. They also originally bought their property for cash flow, but they have little to no training on how to run the property profitably. That's a big sign of them, and that's a big problem. A few of them bought the property sight unseen, which I highly, highly do not recommend you do. Nearly all of them regret buying the property. Now, the key thing is they are motivated to sell. That's the bottom line, right? They are motivated to get out of their negative cash flowing position. So that's who the distressed out-of-state owners are. In a few minutes, I'm going to share with you how to structure deals with those guys. Next, let's turn our attention to the distressed local owner. These owners are local. They're physically there near the property, but mentally checked out. They may admit that there's positive cash flow, but there really isn't. Most have small or manageable loans on the property, which allows them to financially afford, you know, being negative cash flow, but they still are distressed. In fact, they've been distressed for years and they have no clue what to do. They don't. We run into these owners more often than you think. They have no clue what to do. Another sign is the landscape 
landscaping around their property is very poor, not kept up. Interestingly, most of them do their own property management, and they do it because they have many failed attempts at hiring good management themselves, mainly because they didn't know how to manage the management. That's something that we teach here. Next, there are management skills. Their quote-unquote self-managing methods have failed to improve their property over time, and this is a huge issue. In my opinion, 50%, half of distressed local owners, half of them are motivated, and the other half are not motivated, and they are in denial. In short order, I'm going to share with you how to deal with those type of owners. So these first two types, the distressed out-of-state owner and the local owner, there are so many out there. You're going to run into them. I guarantee it. You do a good job of finding commercial property owners that we teach. You're going to find a lot of these owners. Now let's talk about the third type. The third type is a distressed life issue owner. Now these owners have personal life circumstances that dictated or caused their property distress to occur, such as an illness in a family, a divorce, death in a family, partnership dispute, an unplanned relocation, you know, all the above, right? These are life life issues that kind of out of their control and it has caused them and their property to be distressed. So I call this person distressed life issue owner. Their property may or may not be in poor condition. And but I tell you what, selling their property will remove a burden from their lives. For these guys, creative financing may not work for the reasons above. They need a quick sale and something concrete. Now I want you to be aware that these sellers are motivated, but also are prone to disappear for periods of time handling the life issue. So they're not the most stable people. And because of that, you need to move fast because they're likely to make rash and emotional decisions decisions to sell to someone else. So you really need to recognize who the distressed life owner is and be concrete. Now I'm going to go with you the priority of these three type of sellers in terms of motivations to sell. In my opinion, the first priority, the first guys to focus on and the guys that are most distressed is a distressed life issue owner. They are the most motivated, but they're also the most volatile. Secondly, a most motivated is a distressed out-of-state owner. Be prepared for misdirection, sometimes lies. They don't know a lot of things and be prepared for the lack of information on their property. So get good commercial training so you can pick up these things. On the third level of motivation is a distressed local owner. They're likely to be the most difficult negotiator of the three. But I'm going to tell you shortly how to deal with these people. Let's first focus on dealing with the distressed out-of-state owner. Now, I'm going to share with you three things that you need to focus on when dealing with the distressed out-of-state owner. Number one, wholesaling works well because they don't care who buys a property as long as it sells. So if you can structure a good deal, you have a buyer lying in wait, you can wholesale and make big dollars working with a distressed out-of-state owner. Because remember, they're not only out of state, they're out of touch with their property and their mindset is far from being attached to this property. Also, creative financing fits here because of their motivation to stop the cash flow bleeding. Remember what I said, you want to gather as many motivations as you can and structure the deal around their motivations. All right. I have several podcast trainings on how to do creative financing. So go listen to those. You may want to start off with a master lease agreement. Many of you know that's one of my favorite techniques. So start off with a master lease agreement with a low down payment. Give them terms and give yourself enough time to fix the property. So that's how you deal with the distressed owner. You can look at wholesaling, creative financing, and with that creative financing, it could be a master lease because these guys are motivated. I want to, let, let me give you a quick example before I go into the second one. We had a student client named John, right? And we taught him how to find apartment owners and he became really good at it. So John ended up finding the chins, okay? 
the Chins lived in Southern California, and they purchased a 75-unit apartment building several years ago. They did not hire a third-party property management company because they thought they could save on the 6% management fee, which is about $2,300 a month, and they wanted to do the management themselves. You can already see where this is going, right? It's mistake number one. But soon the Chins realized that they were not good managers from afar. They were absentee owners, out-of-state owners, and they were suffering from high turnover, meaning that there was lots of people moving in, moving out, moving in, moving out. And because of that, they were barely breaking even. So the husband decided to spend one week per month down in Texas. At least that's what he told John. I doubt it. Because John toured the property and, and learned from the on-site janitor or the person you know cleaning the grounds that the Chens were doing much worse than what appeared or shared by the Chens. That's what John found out. John and I got together, we gathered all the facts, we looked at all the motivations and looked at the financials, and we made an offer on the property with a sizable cash back at closing to handle the needed repairs and deferred maintenance. And the offer was accepted after maybe a week or so of negotiations, right? But during due diligence, John found out that the rents were under market by $45 to $50 per unit. There was also an opportunity to build it, build back the tenants for water utility costs because the rest of the neighborhood, the competition were doing this as well. So why not us? So that's additional savings right there. So with the combination of the rent increases and the water reimbursement, we've projected that the property would have a $54,000 increase of NOI per year. Now, at an eight cap, that 54000 meant a $675,000 upside in value. John was in no position to cash-wise to buy this property, so he contacted a local buyer who was very busy and buying property in this area, and John ended up wholesaling this deal for $40,000. So that's what John did, find this deal. So this was how to deal with a distressed out-of-state owner and it worked. It worked. We found the motivations. We understood what where the seller was. We understood what he wanted to do. And we made an offer around all those things. So what can we learn from John's deal, right? We can learn that the Chins should have hired a reputable property management firm, right? John also put together an attractive deal for his buyer that included cash back at closing, upside in the rents, and an upside in water reimbursement. So you have to look for these little upside things. Also, the Chins didn't take advantage of either the uh, upside in rents because they were too busy playing property manager and doing a poor job. So unfortunately, the bottom line is the Chins, as inexperienced self-managers, are pretty commonplace and commercial. You are going to run into these type of folks. How do you deal with them? I just shared with you how to deal with them. Okay, let's turn our attention to the dealing with a distressed local owner. Okay, so this guy's local, but he's kind of checked out. Here's how you deal with a distressed local owner. What I want you to do is beat them up on price first. So before you introduce anything creative financing, I need you to beat them up on price first to soften them up a little. This may take a while, some finesse, but beat them up on price first, right? Remember, they are motivated. Then next, I need you to get a fresh perspective on the property and the market from another local property manager. Many of you are beginners. Don't make conclusions on the property without consulting an expert, a market expert, like a property manager. A property manager can tell you what the vacancies are, what the rents are, the plan you want to do to improve the property. You need someone with experience to come in agreement with you as to how and if this can work. If you don't have a coach, a mentor, the next best thing is to get a property manager. 
Now, a proper manager can't help you structure deals like a mentor could, but they could help you look at the market trends, which are very important when dealing with distressed local owners. So that's how you deal with distressed local owners. Beat them up first, soften them up a little, and then get a fresh perspective from a local expert, how their property can really perform. Next, let's talk about how to deal with the life issue owner. Remember, these guys have personal circumstances going on in their life. You know, this property is not a priority for them. Now, here's how you deal with those guys. You may have one or two shots to make the sale. So do your homework as best you can when making offers. Number two, be prepared to write the offer. Be prepared to write the sales contract immediately after the first phone call if necessary, right? Letters of intent are useless with these guys. We need to get their property under contract now. And lastly, promise to them to make the sales process as smooth as possible. You know why? So they can focus on their life issue. Okay, so you see the mindset here? It's not about you. You're putting the focus onto them to get what you want. You got it? You understand that? Now, I want to end this podcast with this. I want to go with you three really quick seller situations that you really should avoid. Okay, the first one is, If you come across a seller who is far underwater, meaning high debt, high mortgage, and low property value, stay away from these guys, right? It may take too long to recapture the lost equity or build it up. And it may take so long that by the time your creative financing, by the time your creative financing expires years from now, there still may be no equity there. So avoid sellers that are far underwater with high debt and lower property value. Next is as a beginner, I want you to avoid sellers' properties that are fully vacant. And that's because properties that are 100% fully vacant most likely needs an extensive amount of work and money and skill to get it in workable shape for tenants to occupy it. I don't recommend this if you are a beginner, all right? There's too many moving pieces, too much at risk here. If you want to do a vacant property, start with something very, very, very small, right? And have lots of cash available for when things go wrong, right? Not if things go wrong, when they go wrong. It's just the nature of the business. You need to scale. And lastly, the third seller situation I want you to avoid is if the seller's court proceedings for foreclosure have begun. Because by the time a property has entered court proceedings, this gets too risky because the seller has lost too much control of their property. And this puts you in too much of a shaky ownership position. All right. So I would pass on this seller. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this little talk on how to structure deals with distressed sellers. If you want more training like this, check out my website, Commercial Property Advisors, or just subscribe to this podcast. So thank you so much. This is Peter Harris and have a great day and I'll see you at the next podcast.